everybody, get ready for Foodie and the Beast with David and Nikki Nellis. A foodie born and bred, my wife Nikki loves chatting up chefs, dining out, and insider industry buzz. And my husband David thinks a great meal is nothing but a good burger, a frosty brew, and a check for under $20. Because he is cheap. Well, maybe so, but foodie married beast anyway. And together we've got the food and wine variety show that has everyone talking. It's Foodie and the Beast, and we are on now. Hey, everybody, and welcome to Foodie and the Beast. Uh, This is Nikki Nellis. I am beastless today. Uh, David had just a little procedure. He's fine. He's a big baby. Uh, But no, he's really uh, totally fine and taking care of himself. So I get to do the whole show by myself today. Uh, But I did just find out that there are people who are in the run-up to be a guest host and so in the future, I will make sure that that happens because it's always fun to have somebody to banter with on air. Um, we have an amazing show. I don't know if you've participated in Restaurant Week plus Restaurant Week 2.0 because there was an extra week added, but there was so many great things happening in and around the city this week. I actually went to Cut for the first time in a kind of a long time. Cut um, in the Rosewood Hotel. I have to tell you, it is a little pricey, but um, the food was really, really spectacular. Um, The Mindful Drink Fest is going on right now. So this airs on Sunday. You have one day left to participate in all that Derek Brown is doing. And then next week, there are all these amazing openings and things happening all around the city. So don't forget to always go to the list, areyouonit.com, the online e-zine that tells you everything happening in the D.C. metro area. And of course, you want to follow me at N-Y-C-C-I-N-E-L-L-I. S. Primarily on Instagram. I'm still on Twitter, a little bit of threads, definitely on LinkedIn and on YouTube because Industry Night, every Thursday we put out our latest Industry Night podcast. You can always download it and listen to it. And now you get to watch it on YouTube. All the fun things. Okay, let's get into today's show because there's so much going on in studio. So I'm very excited because I know nothing about Ethiopian honey wine. Um, Apparently it's fermented, which makes me very excited because I understand anything fermented is so good for your gut, and I'm all about that. Um, And apparently it dates back more than 3,000 years to the time of Queen of Sheba, which I've already alerted everybody in studio, there's only one queen. And it's me. Um, So I'm very excited to learn more about it and get a taste of it. And we're going to go down a big rabbit hole. And I'm hoping to God I say his name right. But Gizeh Nagusi is here in studio. He has this beautiful um, winery, Nagusi. Negus? Negus Winery. Negus Winery. I know I was going to screw one up, but I got it. Negus Winery. Um, he's been getting quite a bit of media, so I know you've heard of him, but we're going to do uh, all the things later in the show with him. Also getting quite a bit of media because it's a very exciting opening from the D.C. area. Uh, TG and Hadley, TJ, excuse me, and Hadley Douglas of the Urban Grape. Uh, they are from Boston. They have been like one of the biggest uh, wine uh purveyors, the winery shops. They do all the things up in Boston, in South Boston. We used to call it Southie. Uh, They've been doing all the things out there. And their first foray foray out is here in D.C. And they just opened. uh, And I'm so excited to talk about the Urban Grape and what they're doing. And uh, they're pouring some wine, so it's going to be a lot of fun. Okay. If you are a fan of Eat to Explore, then you know founder Rowena Shear who um, she believes that um, every cuisine tells a three-dimensional story. And she has these fabulous products where you can cook with your kids. And now 
she has a cookbook to go with these fabulous products. And I can't wait to get into it with Rowena because it's so exciting and so much fun. And she's been all over the place. And I'm looking forward to chatting with her. Okay. And then I'm bringing back an oldie but a goodie, Lucas B. Smith. He's been in studio before. Um, And, you know, he is really into botanicals. And he sort of talked about that a little bit last time he was in studio, but we're getting much deeper in it today. And we did have Derek Brown on last week talking about mindful drinking and uh, low ABV and no ABV and what that was like. And I'm excited to talk to Lucas today about what he's doing because one of my, not complaints, but sort of issues with mindful drinking is not that there's no alcohol. It's really more about the calories. And so I'm excited to talk with Lucas today about what the tonics and tinctures and all the things he's putting together and uh, trying all that today. So we got a full show. Let's get into it. Uh, Gizeh, hi. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me. I see that like huge pot of honey and it looks so like lush and delicious. I kind of want to put it on my face though because I feel like it will do all the things. Um, Tell me, you were a brewer first, right? Yes. So let's hear your story. So I used to make the Ethiopian beer. I call it Ethiopian beer mm-hmm. because I used to use the Ethiopian grain called teif. Teif is the smallest grain in the world. That makes the bread. The bread, the yes. injera. Yes, mm-hmm. it's gluten-free. I used to call nugus teif uh, uh, L. Mm-hmm. So it used to be very good, but pandemic came and then, you know, hit me very hard. Mm. So I decided not to deal anything with a short-life period, which is... Beer has only like six months, so I decided not to deal with a short life uh, product. product. Sure. Yes. So that's the reason why I started something stays for longer, which is a honey wine. Okay. But I don't think a lot of people know about honey wine and especially what it has to do with Ethiopia. So can you give us a little bit of your history and sure. brewing? Like, was your father a brewer? Like, how did it all come together? So my parents actually, they are a businessman and businesswoman mm-hmm. and my mom and uh, but my mom she is making like for the family uh, a honey wine or edge we call it edge for the family especially when there is a holiday or uh, events like uh, wedding or when we gather when we celebrate it's part of the Ethiopian meal mm. so you know during pandemic I told her hey mom show me how you make you know edge or honey wine and then I told her I'm going to change it to the modern style. So, you know, I change it, my, I use my brewing skill and then I change it to the tra- the modern style. Okay. Yeah. So what does that mean? So edge is like, it's a honey wine. Right. It's made with 100% raw honey, mm-hmm. which is specifically selected. You know, have to carefully select the right one to meet mm. the same as the Ethiopian honey wine or edge. Mm-hmm. Otherwise you can't get, I mean, there are like hundreds of, uh, honeys. I know. I mean, go so, to a store. You yes. know, you never know what you're getting half yes. the time. So, all honeys is now working for edge. So okay. it has to be selected. And yes. Okay. So we're gonna get a little deeper into it. Okay. But will you pour us a first taste, everybody in studio? Sure. Of some honey wine. Oh, look, I have some right in front of me. All right. What am I? Is this a specific one? Can you tell me what it's, I got? Yes. So that's the semi dry. Mm-hmm. It's twelve percent alcohol in it, mm-hmm. and it's aged almost six months. That one. Mm. And uh, just the finish is like the honey test, mm. but it's not like overwhelming. No, but it's not sweet. Yeah. All right. We're going to get back to it. Sure. Thank you so much. All right. I got Rowena with me. Hi, Rowena. Thank Hi, you so see. much for joining me. Hold on. I got to find you. 
Thanks all my documents for me here to get all my information together. So hold on one second. Hi. No rush. Okay. New book, A Taste of the World, Celebrating Global Flavors. I know, but before you got there, you have a business and you had this business model, Eat to Explore, which I don't yes. know where it was when my kids were young, but I would have been all <laughs> over this. So can you talk a little bit about it and how you came up with the concept and then grew it? Because it's, it's pretty intense. Thank you. It's actually, actually still going on. It's actually my, my main, you know, where I spent all my time uh-huh. um, to explore. So it started, you know, almost more than five years ago uh, where I look at my own children. Um, they are now, you know, young adult. Um, and they were at a cooking class and literally was asking me what to do with an onion. And I grew up in Malaysia, growing mm-hmm. up cooking with my mom and my sisters. That's kind of how I spend my Sunday. And because of that uh, confidence and, and the skill that I learned throughout that my childhood, I actually, when I was working at Wall Street, um, I actually did a culinary degree as well as French Culinary Institute, just because so I love- So you're not uh, an, you're, nobody would call you an overachiever, right? Is that what I'm getting <laughs> from this? Stop it. But I just love it. It's like, you know, it's not even like work to me. Yeah? Mm-hmm. It's like, I'm doing what I love. And I thought, you know, what's hardest cuisine to, to, to learn? And it was French. So I did the French Culinary uh, Institute uh, degree for a little bit. Mm-hmm. And then, mm-hmm. but I never wanted to go into a restaurant uh, business, right? It's it's kind of not where I am in my life. Um, but then down forward when I had my two children and I've been working in finance for so many years, I sort of like ready for next journey. Mm-hmm. And I felt I'm young enough. I, I've been and lived abroad in many different countries. And everywhere I go, it's always, what do what do they cook here? What is the food? Where's the restaurant? Where's the market? What's the culture? What do they learn? What's the history? So it's, it's almost like innate in me to love that. So I thought, you know, it's time for me to do something totally different and, and why not follow my passion? And I st- I'm still young, I have so much energy. And so yeah, you're I still young. I mean, seriously? <laughs> yes, you are. I'm looking at you. Okay, but let's get into it. So let's talk about how Eat to Explore works. Yes. So it's actually, you can subscribe. So it has once a month a different country. We have 24 countries to explore. Wow. And every country comes with three recipes. Um, easy to follow. It's exactly like the, the cookbook. Um, we give you the spices and the condiments. And mm-hmm. talking about Ethiopia... Mm-hmm. Like we give you the injera mix to make the, um, the the bread and we give you the Burberry spices and uh, to make your dorawat and your, you know, and titswat. So it's like that usually is the hard to find ingredients. So we provide you the more unique, hard to find spices and condiments. And then you have a shopping list to buy the grocery uh, fresh ingredients. And we have vegan option, we have vegetarian option, we also have regular. But what I love and about I it, feel- I love that it's, you know, it's kid inclusive, right? So, yes. because especially yes. the grocery shopping part, right? Like mom or yeah. dad or whoever the adult is shouldn't be, moment. right? Getting into the grocery store, understanding how to find products that you're unfamiliar with, bringing them to the table exactly. and then incorporating them into the cooking. It's, yes. it's a necessary life skill. So I'm all about I it. I agree. I agree. And also, by the way, you can give them a budget. You can say, hey, $20 here, let's calculate how we can stay within the budget. So there's so much learning moment about Mm -hmm. going to a grocery Mm -hmm. stores 
that we're missing in in I feel like a lot of kids are not not doing yeah, it, I'm not right? really good with budgets, but yeah, I hear where your head's at. I like, I mean, I like what you think, but <laughs> no, so not for I'm me. Very focused. <laughs> I'm focused on family connection and mm-hmm. family bonding, mm-hmm. and so making meal together for generations has been a family bonding activity. Right. right? We right. just lost it in the world we live in, where we're so busy with technology that you know. When you cook it, you take a break. You can't touch the phone, right? You got to get your hands dirty. Mm-hmm. So I I feel it strongly that you know making it a family event, doing it once a week. You don't have to be like over commit, right? Just once a weekend, we go to grocery store, we come back, we cook, we learn about the country, play the playlist. We have music. So in addition to the food, we have a booklet to teach you the geography, the history, the music, the art. Um, there's playlists, um, and so you know we have movie suggestions. So it's kind of a fun evening, right? I love for that family morning. So then, what was the what? When were you like? Because you have the booklet, like it's so informative, right? You have so much information. When were you like, oh yeah, I should do a cookbook too? So you know, over the years, um, in fact, four years into it, all our customers are like, well, we love your recipes. I know we can buy the spices, you provide the spices, but I really want to make them ourselves and repeat it as our, you know, uh, a family favorite. Mm-hmm. And so I get overwhelmed requests to get the recipes. And I, I thought, you know what, I'm just going to put a cookbook together, which is really a compilation of all our recipes. But yes, you don't really have that in-depth um, country uh, exploration, but the recipe is a cookbook. So hence... This is the book. Okay, great. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to tell people where we can find all the things. Okay, Rowena? This is Nikki Nellis. I am beastless today, but I'm loving it. We'll be back in just a sec. So last time Nick and I were in Georgetown, we just wanted to get some food and chill out a little. And we went to Tony and Joe's Seafood Place on the Georgetown waterfront. Uh, and I, we had a great meal. I, we had oysters. I don't remember what else we had. Well, the most fantastic thing about Tony and Joe's is, honestly, its location. It is right there on the water. You're looking at the Kennedy Center, and you're looking at the water, and there's all those boats going by, so you have great people watching. And that's whether you're dining outdoors on their amazing patio or dining indoors with their floor-to-ceiling windows. Um, Of course, they have amazing seafood, like the oysters, usually local, um, but great lobster, great fish. And uh, they have great steaks there, too. Yes, and they have steaks, too. It's just a great place to go for great drinks and great food with a view. I love their line. They say, come for the food, stay for the view, and that's what you should do. Tony and Joe's. And we're back on Foodie and the Beast. I am talking a taste of the world celebrating global flavors with Eat to Explore founder Rowena Schur. Rowena, tell us quickly where we can find the cookbook, how we can find everything on the website, how we act, like how do we participate in all the things because you are so busy and doing so much fun. Thank you. So our website is eat number two explore. So it's E A T the number two E X P L O R E dot com. Mm-hmm. The cookbook is now available on pre order on Amazon. It will be coming out February twenty seventh. Um, it's a, a cookbook with uh, covering twenty countries. There's sixty three recipes. Wow. Um, from all the twenty countries. Can't wait. Well, thank you, Rowena. I'm so glad you joined us this morning. And maybe when it comes out and in a little bit of time, we'll bring you back on so we can dive a little deeper. Yes. Can't wait. Love it. We can go through some recipes. I would love that. All right, Rowena. Thanks for your time today.
Thanks for having me, Nikki. Okay. I don't know if you heard, but she has an Ethiopian box. Oh, wow. Where she has all the ingredients to make the breads and to do all the different things. And I was like, oh, that's so cool. Maybe there should be a honey wine component to this. <laughs> um, so I want to come back to you. I'm very fascinated by the honey wine. I can't wait to talk with some of the guests in the studio about it because I hear honey wine and my brain thinks sugar. Like it's going to taste sugar. It's going to feel sugar. I was not prepared for the lack of sugar, actually, that it's it's got a little bit of a it's got a honey taste, but I don't have a sugar buzz. I think there's another buzz cooking in, but not that. Do you know what I mean? Yes. So can you tell us a little bit about the process and how it works? So I'm using 100 uh, percent wildflower raw honey. Mm-hmm. And uh, actually, uh, for after I mix it with our mixer and then send it to the fermentation tank for at least a week, I'm going to let it sit. Mm-hmm. And then after that, I'm going to, you know, peach with our proprietary yeast specifically grown for us. Mm-hmm. So that's the time like starts ferments. Like you said, there is like, uh, uh, which is the honey sugar, which is, I think, fructose. Uh, so that fructose is, I think, the yeasts, they are excited to eat and they give us back the alcohol. So it takes like at least three months to ferment. Mm-hmm. And then when it reaches the the alcohol uh, content that I'm aiming, I start uh, sending to, you know, the aging tank. But between that, uh, I rocked it like at least two, three times to mm-hmm. in the, into the new tanks, like, couple of because there is a dead yeast on the bottom so i have to remove those and then you know uh, i have to put it and then uh, uh, continue fermentation after that process it's aging aging is it takes at least depends on the weather three to six months mm-hmm. so the one you had it it's aged six months right yeah and it's it's just well balanced it's really good there is no aftertaste and it's it's just it's delicious that's what i heard from there it is and so what when people, where do people order a honey wine? I think for, especially people in the American population, I mean, there's so many options now yes. for wines from all around the world, which I'm going to get into in just a second. Mocktails, cocktails, like spirits, like there's so much out there. Where does honey wine fit in? Uh, so, uh, so you know, first of all, uh, we, we can sell like through our website, which mm-hmm. is uh, nuguswines.com. Mm-hmm. And then it's really good. It fits with, you know, just with a great steak and, mm. uh, uh, yeah, uh, meat. In, in Ethiopia, actually, people, they don't eat without the honey wine meat. So we eat like, you know, oh. raw meat in Ethiopia. Right. Yes. It's just like, that's like a, a tartar. Yes. Yes. Exactly. Delicious. That, the right, you know, fit is honey wine or taj. Mm. So, but other than that, usually nighttime, because it's 100% natural, there is no sulfite in it. There is no sorbet or sulfite. It's pure. So no, it's hundred no sulfites. So hundred percent natural. Okay. So the next day, no headache. Oh, okay. Yeah. I'm there for that. Yeah. Um, okay. The next one you poured us is a little cloudy. Just tell us quickly what it is, and when I come back to you, you can explain it deeper. This one is ten percent alcohol. Okay. Ten percent. It's a little bit sweet. We call it semi-sweet honey wine. In Ethiopia, we call it lega. Lega is like young. Mm. So it's still young. It's mm-hmm. not fully, but I stopped it at 10%. Okay. So it's 10% alcohol, rich of honey, and uh, it's a little bit cloudy. Yeah, it is. All right, we'll talk about that uh, when we get back. All right. So I'm so excited now to talk about um, my next guest, the <coughs> Urban Grape, TJ and Hadley Douglas. 
Um, they are in from Boston. They just opened up in Shaw. Um, but before we dig into like YDC and what you're doing here and all those things, let's talk about the original concept, the Urban Grape in Boston. Yeah, great. Uh, thank you so much for having us. Uh, when I was in the restaurant business, I wrote Progressive Wine Lists, where the wines uh, on the list were organized from light-bodied to full-bodied, uh, mm-hmm. because that's how most food menus are, are written, light-bodied to food menus. And it gave a, a really good um, way for our staff to make recommendations based on how the wine list was set up, even if they didn't have the wine. Uh, fast forward after years of restaurants and distribution. You know I want to go down a rabbit hole. Oh, we'll go down a rabbit hole. I'm going to be like, what restaurants? Who did you work for? Exactly, I want exactly. to know all the things, but go ahead. So Hadley and I were in uh, in Umbria, in uh, in Todi, um, mm-hmm. c- c- central, uh, Tusk- or c- central Italy, and uh, she said, hey, T, you know, what's, what's your five-year, ten-year plan? And after a couple bottles of wine, I'm like, look, I want to open up a store. I want to create a physical space for people mm-hmm. um, where I can help take the intimidation out Wait, of wine. I was in Umbria, and I'm trying to think of the two wines, the two reds that they serve. What's the? So you do a lot of Sagrentino there. Sagrentino. Yeah, that's what it's like. You do a lot of Sangiovese yes. as well. The Sagrentino yeah. is delicious. Yeah. Okay, sorry. So, so probably, over some Sagrentino. Yeah. Go yeah. ahead. Yeah, so yeah. so I definitely had both of those many times that day. <laughs> and she said, you know, what, what, what do you want to do? And so I said I wanted to create this physical space um, where I can bring people in, customers in the community in, and teach them about wine and so that they can understand their own palates. And instead of doing a, a – sorry, you can hear my voice from our grand opening on yes, Thursday. Yes, I know. All right. Okay, <laughs> brag, brag, sound, brag. Sound Go ahead. sexy. Yes. Um, so um, instead of doing a vertical progressive wine list, I decided to take that vertical wine list and then turn it horizontally and give it a scale of 1 to 10, 1 being light uh, on your front palate like skim milk mm-hmm. and uh, 10 being heavy on your palate like heavy cream. And so we do that for the whites and reds, and uh, we call it our progressive scale. That's very, very cool. And so as you launch this in Boston, how did it grow? Because, I mean, you have all these accolades, all these awards. Um, I'm going to let you brag about that <laughs> instead of me just reading them. But how did you grow? How did you take that concept? Because, I mean, there's a lot of people who are going to be like, it's a wine shop. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But what you're doing is a lot more intentional yeah. than just selling wine. So can we talk about that? Yeah, bit? do you want to tell yeah, the first absolutely. story? It kind of, you know, sums <laughs> well, it up. I think, we, you know, TJ had this idea for the progressive scale, and I was actually home on maternity leave with our second child, and mm. um, I worked in communications, <clears throat> marketing, things like that. And he said to me, can you, you know, start the website, do the opening press? Yeah, you got and nothing to do. You just I, exactly, home, just exactly. Uh-huh. And, um, you know, on that, I was nervous about the progressive scale. It's like no store in the entire world sets their wine up like this. You know, mm-hmm. why is this what we're going for? And on our very first day, some of our first customers, husband and wife, came in. The wife stood in front of the 4W section. And um, she said, oh, my God, babe, look at this. I love this wine, this wine, this wine, this wine. She loved all the wines in that section. And from that minute, I we just knew it was going to work. Okay. And you know, in Boston, everyone is very used to the progressive scale now. We've been open for 13 years there. Mm-hmm. But to see the reception in D.C., where we've been open two days, all the people coming in and just the relief that they don't have to know what Sangiovese is, mm-hmm. uh, Sagrantino is, that they can come in and talk about their palate, what they like, what they want to do with it, mm-hmm. and find a bottle of wine that they know they will love. It's just incredible to see it all over again. I bet. Well, let's talk about the curation of the wine so mm-hmm. that it fits into that scale. Um, how do you go about bringing in um, 
not just known brands, you know, because let's be honest, the known brands have huge marketing budgets, but it's the smaller, less known ones that are doing a lot of uh, wines with a lot of nuance mm -hmm. and textures and flavors. And so how are you going about, I mean, I'm sure you're traveling, but like, how do you go about finding ones to introduce all your clients to? Mm -hmm. Because I think as experts, that's what people are looking for. You know, you've already told them how to grow their palate and uh, explain their palate when they're looking for wine. But how do you then say, I know you don't know them, but let me tell you why I love them. Mm -hmm. And how do you find those people? Yeah, that's, a, that's an awesome question. Um, uh, we find them a few different ways, mm -hmm. right? One, yes, it's it's from traveling. Uh, two, it's from the network. I've been doing this since I was, you know, <laughs> very young in right. restaurants, and and um, and but a big part of it is I uh, I learn it from the people, right? So I, I I hear it from our customers. Hey, I traveled somewhere. Do you have this wine? I'm like, no, I've never heard of that. Mm. Let me call my distributor and see if I can get a sample. And that's how we learn about some new products. But we also um, rely on really great salespeople. Over the years, I really prefer um, our salespeople that have actually come from restaurants as opposed to the kick the tire. You know, how much can I, you know, can I get a gas car if I buy 20 cases of this? I want to know um, wines that work really well on restaurant wine programs. And so I taste, and now I have a great uh, buyer here in D.C., Felicia Jefferson. Mm. Um, and so I, in, in Boston and down here, we'll taste, you know, four or 5,000 wines over the course of the year um, to rotate the inventory. And when we're going through that process, uh, first we nose the wine uh, to make sure that the wine is sound. Mm -hmm. uh, and then we take a sip, we swirl it around our mouth, and we understand what the viscosity of that is, what mm -hmm. the body of that wine is on the very front palate. And that's where it ends up on the progressive scale. And if we, uh, if we like it, if it has actual and relative quality, we'll make a home for it. And mm -hmm. it's very important for us to be able to use our platform at, at the Urban Grape to tell the story mm -hmm. of other um, people in the wine industry, our community, um, to be able to use that to help grow their brands. Right. And it's, um, it's, it's a great place where you can come in, and since we're not organized by geographical region or by varietal, for our customers, our local community here, to really explore and hear those stories. And mm -hmm. then we're lucky enough because we saw a lot of their wine, that those stories actually come to our physical space and people get to meet them. Which I think is amazing. So you'll be doing, so let's just, um, and what do I have, one minute? Okay, let me take the break early. Let's do that <laughs> so we can get back to you, okay? okay? This is Nikki Nellis, Foodie and the Beast. The Urban Grape is in town. You're hearing all about it. We'll be back in just a sec. And we're back on Foodie and the Beast talking about the latest the Urban Grape, which just opened in Shaw. I've got uh, TJ and Hadley who are here with me. Um, okay, so we were talking about the wines, how you curate them. You're going to be doing events. So I know that up in Boston you partnered with BU mm -hmm. to do a program to help teach students to get into the hospitality industry. I'd love to talk about that a little bit because I'm given of all the problems with the hospitality industry right now and the need for good people who see being in the hospitality industry as an actual career move. Um, how are you guys doing that? And do you plan to work with schools down here in similar programs? Absolutely. So we partnered with Boston University to start the Urban Grape Wine Studies Award for students of color. And the purpose of it is to create BIPOC representation in the wine industry and mm -hmm. the hospitality industry. It's a year-long program. It's really intensive. They go through four levels of wine education at Boston University, um, personal mentorship for me and TJ, mm. um, and also we connect them with other industry experts. And at the same time, they do four paid internships of three months each, first at the wine store, the Urban Grape, 
where they touch bottles, they're tasting a lot of wine, they're learning to work with customers. Then they move um, onto distribution and mm-hmm. they learn, you know, how wine gets sold to restaurants and retail. And all the laws and legalities because every city is exactly. different, right? Oh, yeah, that's a whole other show. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then they move on to restaurants to learn on-premise um, and how beverage fits into on-premise. And then they go actually um, out to California and work with our partner there, Jackson Family Wines. Mm. And they spend three months there learning production, marketing, um, branding. They're out, you know, picking grapes. Um, So it's really um, a a soup to nuts program. And absolutely, we will be expanding that program to D.C. Our um, application cycle is January to March. So likely the program will start next January in Mm -hmm. D.C. And um, all of our interns in both cities will go to Jackson Family Wines at the same time and meet and work together. What an amazing, amazing opportunity. I just I I think it's so important. So I love that it's something that you guys are executing. Will you still partner with BU down here or are you looking to maybe partner with Howard or somebody like that? Yes, exactly. We... um, you know, on the on the phase two after opening list of things to do is absolutely to reach out to Howard um, and the local. Uh, you know, so many great universities here. I mean, where to begin? Exactly. Right, but I can appreciate and why Howard and would our, be the first exactly choice. and our proximity to Howard. We're only ten blocks right, from the campus. right down the street. Yeah. Um, okay, so let's talk about the space and events. And um, you brought some wine, brought so some wine. I feel like we should be pouring it. So why don't you tell us what you're pouring? Yeah, great. So besides all of the Burgundy and the Bayern Champagne and the Bordeaux and the Napa Cab that, that mm-hmm. we sell, um, about 20% of our uh, of our revenue and our uh, of what we sell every year are actually BIPOC producers, and it's one of the um, reasons no, we didn't even touch. We didn't on even that. touch I'm on so that. I'm so sorry. We didn't touch that's on that. No, 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 it's okay. I, I, I'm good at like fitting it in. Good. Right? So, um, so one of the um, uh, reasons that we were able to, or w- why we wanted to move to DC, one of the many reasons um, is because what I've heard of like the Wild West down here uh, is that <laughs> it allows me to find um, these really beautiful um, small producers that don't aren't aren't able to have their story told because. You know, they don't have the financial capacity. They may not have enough volume. um, They may not have a marketing team. And so uh, wholesalers and larger stores won't look at them and give them the opportunity. So in Massachusetts and in most states, because of the three-tiered system, you're very limited with what products can actually come into the state. Yeah, but D.C. is the wild west. So D.C., you can bring it in. So um, today what I brought, especially leading into Black History Month, um, I brought two black producers and one indigenous producer. Um, So we focus on BIPOC producers, LGBTQ plus producers, uh, female producers, biodynamic producers, natural, all that. Um, yeah, so so and um, so we 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 find amazing products that happen to be. We don't just buy something because, right? Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, so what I have today, I have 2022 uh, Lafette um, de Blanc, and this is uh, from a guy named uh, Donnie Burson, who was actually at our grand opening. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this is a um, uh, this is a roll blend. Roll is Vermentino, uh, also blended with a grape called Semillon, which reminds me a lot of the Nagus uh, honey so wait, wines. Vermentino, isn't yep. that from? Sardin- That's what I drink so in Sardinia. Grow, yep, so they grow it in Sardinia, but if you just go north, um, you're you're in uh, San Tropez, oh. where where this further north, um, okay. you're in San Tropez, where they call Vermentino roll. Oh. Um, but then Semillon, which they typically grow in Bordeaux for white Bordeaux, mm-hmm. always has this kind of like beeswaxy honey 
taste, aromatics, mm-hmm. and uh, texture, uh, which reminds me of Nagusa's wines. And then we have our own wine that supports our wine studies program cool. um, called Progressive Wine Company. And we have mm-hmm. a winemaker in California. Uh, this is all uh, Pinot Noir from Russian River Valley. Okay, and then the next and one? And then the last one is 2017 Kita. Uh, and this is from um, an indigenous woman, also part of the LGBTQ plus community. Mm. Um, her name is Tara Gomez. And this is a Cabernet um, from her family's, from her Chumash tribe's land uh, in Santa Ynez Valley. God, I'm so excited. Unfortunately, and they're all set up on the progressive scale. I love that. I'm going to take a picture of it, but um, we have to wrap up with you guys. Sure. So we're going to drink for every, Yeah, we're going to pour for everybody <laughs> in studio. Um, so tell everybody, please, where they can find you online, on Insta, and in Shaw. Yes, absolutely. So to find us online, it's dc.theurbangrape.shop. Mm-hmm. Um, Instagram is urbangrape. We are at 1301. Um, 9th Street, Northwest. Mm-hmm. I am still learning the no, addresses that's okay. down here. You heard me say people's names today. <laughs> I understand. And um, we have free tastings, free public tastings every Thursday from 5 to 8. Um, and we have an incredible lineup for our Black History Month and Women's History Month coming up over the next two And months. all those events will be on yeah, the list. Are you exactly. on it? And full spirits and beer and maybe yeah. some honey wine. I, I mean, I was hoping for a little networking in the studio <laughs> and maybe a little more with our next guest. Okay, we're back to honey wine. So I have some questions about the wine you grew up drinking and the wine you're making. So did different families create different wines or did you sort of take your mother's recipe and were like, I want to play with this to create different um, offerings or expressions? So uh, every household, especially moms, they have their own uh, mm-hmm. secrets. So I, actually I follow my mom's uh, secret and it's called actually Mama's Honey Wine. Mm-hmm. which I learned it, how to make it from my mother, like I said earlier. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, all houses, they have their own secret. This one is a little bit different because I filtered it. They don't know how to filter because, mm-hmm. you know, they make it traditional. They don't know how to rock. Mm-hmm. They don't know how to package without, you know, uh, removing the Well, yeastus. I assume in Ethiopia, if they're making it in their house, it's no different than like Iceland where they're making their own scare because everybody, mm-hmm. like they're making it regularly, yes. right? So. Yes. It's just a different process, but it sounds like you're playing with the product a little bit to create different effects. Yes, yes. Actually, it's the same recipe, uh-huh. but, you know, the final product depends on the alcohol content that I'm aiming. Mm-hmm. Plus, you know, when I, when I first making it, uh, I put more honey or less honey, depends on, you know, my final gravity or alcohol aim. Mm-hmm. So just there is always like, uh, yeah, I have to play, you know, a little bit like the honey volume and also the uh, alcohol content and different techniques. Mm-hmm. But every day, it's a very sensitive uh, process. Every day I have to check with the pH, the alcohol content. I have to rack it. If I leave it like sear it like for two, two weeks, it's going to go bad. I really? Have to, yes. It's, it's, it's just a lot of like, you know, follow up with every process. So you thought this was better than doing beer brewing? Oh, no, totally. I, I, to, be, to be honest with you, the brewing businesses, it's just it's a lot of work at the beginning. But later on, you have to see, leave it like sitting in the tank. But mm-hmm. this one is not like that. You have to follow up and rocking, transferring to different tanks like mm-hmm. every week. Depends on the weather. Depends on the temperature. Okay, yeah. great. So these are the two you're pouring today, right? Do you so, have one more? Yeah, uh, I have another two, which is filtered and distributed for a different company. Okay. If you, if you guys want, I can open it. It's a little bit bubbly, and oh. actually it's totally different. You guys kind of like it. Do we look like the kind of crew that would say no oh. bubbles? <laughs> awesome. I don't think so. Okay, great. Thank you, Lucas. All right. 
Lucas V. Smith, back in studio um, of Redbeard. I can't imagine where you got that name from. Um, So tell us what you're up to, Lucas, because the last time you were in, we sort of talked a little bit about your tinctures and botanicals, but we really didn't do a deep dive. And I'd love to learn more about what you're doing and how you're really sort of honing in on the no ABVs and low ABVs and like making it a part of your offerings. 100%. So basically what we talked about last time in some was that uh, I'm interested in making as many ingredients as I can for the mm-hmm. bar program at the line mm-hmm. in-house. And that goes all the way down to vermouths, bitters, um, liqueurs, amaros, etc. Right. And, you know, the best thing about the transition to N.A., is that the best way to figure out how to make an NA spirit is to start with knowing how to make the one you're trying to replicate effectively. Mm-hmm. And I learned a few things that are interesting, um, like a couple of kind of principles or rules about NA drinks that I think uh, could deserve to be better understood. And it speaks to one of your concerns as well, which is that uh, a lot of NA drinks end up being uh, a little bit on the sugary side. And mm-hmm. part of that's because despite the fact that alcohol weighs less than water, On the palate, it feels bigger. Mm. It's like a special effect of the way that our mind interprets tasting alcohol. Where if you take – I'll make the exact same thing. I'll make a fernet with full alcohol, 40%. I make the same recipe, just minus the alcohol. And the one that's with water, which actually weighs more, has the same amount of sugar, same everything else, uh, tastes a lot lighter. Mm. Like it tastes like you're drinking – like it tastes lighter than a soda. Um, The best way for me to prove that is to pass this over. So this is a fernet. We okay. call it for not. Oh, my God. I love you. I love you. That's so fun. It's so silly. And and, okay. and, and you'll see when you taste this that it's like it smells like Fernet. Uh, the herbaceous quality mm-hmm. is Fernetti. Mm-hmm. And then when you taste it, it's like, mm-hmm. oh, like a little bit where's the beef. Right. So it's not a sipper exactly, but it's a perfectly fine shooter. Okay. Um, so there are other things that we're trying to do. We're trying to involve other botanicals to give us more of a perception of weight. And we're trying to stay away from using any synthetics as we as, if we can. I actually like the Fernet better than I like Fernet. Well, I appreciate that. Because um, I don't like Fernet. I know that's like, uh, you're not supposed to say that because all the chefs love You should say whatever Fernet. you want. They love the Fernet. I'm always well, like, that's If you disgusting. like this, you'll love the Fernet Fernet, okay. not the Fernet Fernet. <laughs> um, and I hear that occasionally as well. So if you're looking at these other two, mm-hmm. we have an N.A. Vermouth. Which and then one? we have an N.A. Um, aperitif. The, the bright red one is the, like, Campari Aperol clone. Okay. And you'll smell that immediately. Mm-hmm. Mm. So we're using some things, like, we, we use vegetable glycerin. We use a little bit of aloe vera juice, like, mm-hmm. things to give it a little more weight. Well, that makes sense, because they all have body, which I think is what you're speaking to and the lacking, right? In Because right. one of the off-air, I didn't do this with Derek on-air, but off-air, I was like, I mean, if you don't want to drink alcohol, then like, don't. But I didn't. Under, I don't. To me, my mind. Yeah. I'm just. I'm a big wine drinker, not a huge cocktail drinker. Although, if somebody puts it in front of me, I'm going to taste it. But um, I, I don't understand the need for these cocktails because the mocktails. Because in my mind, I'm like, it's just sugar. Like, I don't need sugary drinks. I don't. If I'm going to drink my calories, it's going to be wine. Right. Do you know what I mean? So, 100%. how do you how do you play with that? So in my mind, what happens here is because we're bringing – because, again, the reason why alcohol tastes more satisfying Mm -hmm. than a non-alcoholic version of the same thing 
oftentimes mm. is because of that perception of weight. And the cool thing about, but it's also, it's a trick that our mind is playing well, on us. Also, it's, not, it's not actually It's a richer. trick that the mind is playing right. for a variety of reasons. Many tricks are being played. Yes. And, and, they're, and they're fun for the first three or four drinks um, and maybe even beneficial for the first one or two. Mm-hmm. So the idea here is that by bringing, you know, and these things have over 20 botanical influences in each one. Mm-hmm. And so because of that, we're getting different ways of stimulating the palate and stimulating the brain that makes us feel like we're having a bigger, rounder experience. Do I have to take a break? Okay, I'm going to take a break. When we come back, I want to dive in a little deeper about how you're using these things. And when we talk about botanicals, I want to know what that means because I'm I'm into the botanicals. All you know right. what I mean? So I, I want to hear more about it. All right. I love it. This I love is Nikki it. Nellis, Foodie and the Beast. Everything you heard here today, you can find on the list or you want com. Don't forget to follow me at N-Y-C-C-I-N-E-L-L-I-S. And we'll be back in just a sec. And we're back on Foodie and the Beast. Uh, I'm talking with uh, Lucas B. Smith, not to be confused with Lucas Smith, but Lucas B. <laughs> Smith of Red Beard. And we were talking about your creations and the use of botanicals to do no ABV or low ABV offerings that have the weight and body to to really give people what they want when it comes to to drinking without the alcohol. So can we talk, when you say botanicals, my head gets all wooey because I think of like all the healthful, healthful benefits sure, I'm getting. Sure. So can we talk about that, like what you're using in these? So 100%. So um, let's just going to grab one from the top of the pile here, mm-hmm. looking at the Fernet. Mm-hmm. So Fernet is a style of thing, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so classically, it's going to be a high alcohol mm-hmm. Amaro, very low sugar, usually below 60 grams uh, per liter, whereas a typical Amaro is going to be 200 and above. Right. Um, it's going to have uh, the mint is a big part of the front palate of that. You smell that immediately. It jumps out of the glass. Sometimes there's some eucalyptus, but mm-hmm. it's like mint, eucalyptus, peppermint, spearmint, menthol. These are all acceptable. And then you have a big saffron note, which is important. Rhubarb is characteristic for bitterness and rhubarb kind of has a smoky rhubarb root kind of has a smoky sinuous tea-like flavor mm-hmm. um kind of uh so are you steeping these are you mashing them like what are we doing to i know you can't give me your secrets no these are i, I i'm i'm an open book when it comes to this stuff mm-hmm. i like to make um consistent tinctures across the board and mm-hmm. i'm really using a lot of the like techniques that soda jerks we're making in like the late 19th century like so like, creams, so like how, so how do you, how do you take but how do you take a, how does a pharmacist uh, use his or her skills to make repeatable syrups, right? right? So what they do is like the same things you would do to make a medicine, right? We have 20 grams of whatever willow bark, and we're right. going to make aspirin out of it. There's a way to do that. And you want to basically make it so that your 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 mass base is expressed in a consistent amount of liquid, so that every time you use that amount of liquid, you know how much botanical sure. influence there is. So all of mine are 10 to 1. So it okay. means... I start off with 10 parts alcohol, one part, like so, so mass to volume relationship. 10 grams goes into 100 grams of booze. Mm-hmm. And then I let that steep. And really my, I'm not, I'm not super duper technical on this side. I know what they're supposed to smell like. And when they smell right, okay. I take them off. The nose right? knows, right? Like the nose is absolutely correct when it comes to this stuff. Okay. Um, the higher the alcohol, the closer you have to watch it. The lower the alcohol, the longer you can let it sit. Mm. The less astringent power the longer you can go. Like with the vermouth stuff, I let them go for months. Okay. But they're only 20% extractions. For something like cinchona bark, it's 80% alcohol, rock and roll. I want to come see your lab. Like, it's a beautiful I thing. Tour. We okay. have over 80 botanicals that are extracted 
Uh, some of the more complex things for this, this is based on a based on a blend. The Fernat? Yes, it has. So the, the base ingredient has is a tincture of 40 different botanicals. Okay. And then I'll dial it in with the other guys. But so basically that's the idea. It's Wait, like what I have is all these this? T- What'd you make here? So that is the Naliato. Okay. So we've got the Snapper, I call it, which is the N.A. Aperitivo. Mm-hmm. The uh, Zero Vermouth, which mm-hmm. is based on unfermented mm-hmm. Muscat juice. Mm-hmm. And uh, a little bit of cola flavor in there. Mm-hmm. But, you know, we're kind of reverse engineered cola. And then the um, N.A. or de-alcoholized Mianetto Prosecco. Mm-hmm. Which I guess it's not technically Prosecco, but right. it would be if it had booze in it. Right. Okay. And so the idea there is like, you know, to ask your question, like, what are we missing? Uh, why do we drink these things? Well, it, because really, you know, if the alternative is a soda or a glass of water or a juice, this is actually going to be something that will give you some contrast, some play when you're dining, right? It's satisfying in a different way. It's got that long, bitter finish. Mm-hmm. And bitters are actually very good for you to consume both before and after dinner. For so as a digestion yes. aid, right? No, and this is, so what I do like about this, I think that's where my head goes when it comes to low ABV and mocktails. In my head, I think syrupy, I think sweet. Um, I just, I think that with a lot of cocktails too. Sure. And I've been, you know, I've been told wrong lots of times and I've had people in here for the last 15 years making me really clean, beautiful cocktails, but it's where my head goes. So like when I see this drink, my head thinks like Negroni, right? Like it looks like a Negroni. Yes. I think it's going to be thick. I think it's going to be syrupy. I think I'm not going to like it. But it's so pleasant on the palate, and it's very light, and it is um, multi-flavored. So you get a really different taste in the beginning than you do in the back of the tongue at the end. Absolutely. So it's very interesting. And that's what we're trying to do with everything, really. Like So even with classic ingredients, like one of my little new bailiwicks is that juice is a processed food. Right. I so, agree. So you compare like what a, cl- a cup of pineapple juice tastes like next to like a bite of pineapple. Mm-hmm. They couldn't be more different, really. I mean, obviously, they're the same thing. But it's kind of like how banana extract tastes different than bananas. Right. They're not the same thing. Right. And so a lot of times what I'll do for things is like I will sneak into my lime juice a small measure of a bitter botanical to bring some of the roundness and bitterness that you are taking out of limes by juicing them back into the drink. Oh, I love and that. And it makes it taste makes the lime juice taste more like limes, even though I'm not adding more lime juice. I'm adding mm-hmm. gentian extract, for example. Okay. And so this is something we're doing all over the place, mm-hmm. is to kind of deliver a sensation that's familiar, right? This tastes like a drink. I've had cocktails before. We're not trying to confuse people. But then we tinker around the edges to create little bitter sensations, little tickling, little thoughts, basically. That um, make okay. it worth remembering. So, Lucas, how do people get this experience from you? Where do they go? How do we do this? So, the Line Hotel is the big feature for this stuff for me. Okay. Um, we have many other clients that basically deal with, uh, you know, I'm, I'm kind of behind the curtain for a lot of these places. But we have Surfside. We have the new uh, Roofers Union, mm. Code Red, uh, even Lamont Royale, which is owned by Felicia's husband. Felicia's a very good friend of mine, by the way. So. Okay. I was going to say woot-woot earlier. Okay. It's only my second time. Okay, Third time you got 30 seconds, dude. All right. Tell us where we can find you. Tell us where The line is the place to go. Okay, and where can I find you online? And where can I find you? Lucas.b.smith on Instagram, and Instagram is where it's at for me. Okay, thank you. It's so good. This is amazing. Thank you so much. Thank you. All right, we're back to the honey wine. So, Bubbly, did you grow up drinking this? <laughs> so, so, the Bubbly is actually comes with uh, its own natural... Uh, the honey, uh-huh. uh, uh, and it's not like you know we don't add any carbonation or anything. Uh-huh. I did it with its own honey. Mm. 
Yeah. So just my main goal is like not to add any preservative or carbonation or those kind of stuff using its own to get like different kind of tests or mm -hmm. this is really good with like anything after food or good idea. yeah. Mm -hmm. And some people's uh, just like DJ, they mix it. With right. No. The, yeah. He added some bitters to <laughs> yeah, it. I yeah. love where his head is at. Yeah. Okay. Let's talk about the property because we can come out. Yes. And do a tasting, like walk us through it. So actually, uh, we just launched the first uh, Ethiopian honey wine in the United States. Congratulations. Thank you so much. That's uh, so exciting. Leah, thank you. Late fall 2023 mm -hmm. in Alexandria City. And uh, it's uh, it's located in Alexandria, 5509 Vine Street. Mm -hmm. And also people, they can find us, nuguswines.com. At the meantime, uh, Instagram at Nugus Winery mm -hmm. and also uh, Twitter, which is X right now, right. and also we uh, don't know Facebook. what it is, but it's okay. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so Nugus Winery. Yeah. Okay. And so, can we come to the winery, get a tour, get a tasting, do all the things? Yes. Uh, so you know, uh, for more than six people, they can schedule for uh, uh, to tour our. Uh, production facility mm -hmm. but uh, le less than five people they can come any any time without any reservations just walk in and uh, uh testing room is open tuesday to sunday oh that's amazing i really i know this may sound simple but i love the first wine that you poured the real the filtered one yes and i think i know you suggested steak but i i think i want that like with cheese yeah like really stinky heavy creamy cheeses would you approve of that? Yes, okay. 100%. So, yeah, uh, it's a really good, I think, combination with the cheese. But mm -hmm. uh, uh, we try to introduce also our own uh, product, which is the Injera Crisp. We are oh, colla sure. collaborating with Siona uh, Foods. Uh -huh. I'll give it to you some piece. Yes. And, uh, we uh, had her in studio. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So uh, that's really good. Instead of cheese and crackers, we just try to introduce something completely different because our honey wine is also something Completely, completely different. different than any other wines. Great. Well, I want to thank you for bringing it in studio today. I want to thank all of our guests. This was such an amazing show today. I'm, I kind of want to say I'm sorry David isn't here, but I'm not really. I mean, you snooze, you lose. He missed. Um, anyway, but I want to thank all of you for joining me today. Uh, so much is going on in and around the D.C. area. And, I mean not just here, nationally, internationally. Uh, and the way to stay on top of all those things is to follow me, obviously, at N-Y-C-C-I-N-E-L-L-I-S, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, X, Threads. Don't forget Industry Night is now on YouTube, or, of course, you can download it on all your podcast channels. Um, what else? I don't know. I think that's it. There's a lot going on out there. Be safe, have fun, and have a delicious week. Bye.